0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. To you, Lord Christ. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came. And were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice." For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly, a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well when Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. My dentist retired this past year, and she sold her practice to another dentist. At my first appointment with a new dentist, I think he was trying to make a connection with this new patient of his, and so he gave me a compliment. You are nicely dressed, he said. Some people come into the office wearing what looks like their pajamas. And I immediately heard in my head the voice of my mother telling me while I was heading out the door one day, you're not going to walk out of this house looking like that. And her teaching, her discipline, has served me and my three brothers very well. Growing up, we were expected to abide by certain rules and standards. There were boundaries we were not to cross. In his book, Falling Upward, Richard Rohr states his belief that the first half of life is concerned with one task, while the second half of life is concerned with a different task. About the first half of life, Father Richard writes, the first half of life is of crucial importance. You need boundaries, identity, safety, and some degree of order and consistency to get started personally and culturally. In the first half of life, there may be parts of us that feel fragile and vulnerable, and we learn to build walls around these parts, develop survival tactics and defense mechanisms. We seek to prove our worth by comparing ourselves to others. And we tend to look at the world dualistically, good or bad, right or wrong, us or them. First half of life religion, Father Rohr states, is almost always about various types of purity codes, or thou shalt nots, to keep us Feeling right, righteous, good, clean, in God's favor. The problem is, Father Richard notes, you can be pure as an angel while still proud as a devil. Lutheran pastor and author Nadia Boltz Weber who herself lived much of the first half of her life on the wrong side of the purity boundary, writes, Our purity systems, even those established with the best intentions, do not make us holy. They only create insiders and outsiders. They are mechanisms for delivering our drug of choice, self-righteousness as juice from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil runs down our chins. And these purity systems affect far more than our relationship to sex and booze. They show up in political ideology in the way people shame each other on social media. Purity most often leads to pride or to despair, not holiness. Because holiness is about union with and purity is about separation from. Holiness is about union with and purity is about separation from. And my friends, this is exactly what is happening in today's gospel. Jesus is holiness incarnate, while the Pharisees are all about purity codes. According to Jewish purity codes, Jesus is not supposed to consort with tax collectors, and yet he calls a tax collector, Matthew, to be one of his 12 disciples. To come in contact with a woman who had menstrual bleeding would, according to Jewish law, make someone ritually unclean. And yet, there is no barrier between Jesus and this chronically bleeding woman in today's gospel. She touches Jesus' garment, and rather rather than being upset that some purity code has been broken, Jesus commends her for her faith, which, he says, is what heals her. According to Jewish purity codes, to touch a dead body would make a person ritually unclean. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus does. He touches a dead girl, and she becomes alive again. Purity is about separation from, while holiness is about union with. Jesus embodies holiness, uniting himself to sinners and tax collectors and to all those things whom the Pharisees say are unclean or impure. The Pharisees are appropriately named, for the word Pharisees means the separated ones. Pastor Nadia notes, Jesus seemed to want connection with those around him, not separation. He touched human bodies deemed unclean, as if they were themselves holy, dead little girls, lepers, menstruating women. Jesus kept violating boundaries of decency to get to the people on the other side of that boundary, those who'd been wounded by it, those who were separated from the others, the motherless, the sex workers, the victims and the victimizers. He cared about real holiness, the connection between things human and divine, the unity of sinners, the coming together of that which was formally set apart. To connect to the holy is to access the deepest, juiciest part of our spirits. Perhaps this is why we set up so many boundaries, protections and rules, it is an attempt to safeguard what is most precious and yet most vulnerable within us, our souls, our true selves, the child of God within. But when the boundaries, protections, and rules become more important than the sacred thing they are intended to protect, casualties ensue. When the boundaries, protections, and rules become more important than the sacred thing they are intended to protect, casualties ensue. And my friends, I have found this to be true in my own life. In my attempts to protect and shield that vulnerable child of God within, I have often unwittingly walled off that juiciest part of myself, my soul, that part of me that is holy, that which is life and spirit itself that which yearns for connection, not separation. The paradoxical truth of the gospel, the mystery of faith which was revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is that true power proceeds from vulnerability and self-emptying, letting down our barriers. As St. Paul wrote about Christ, Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Emptied himself. If the task of the first half of life is to construct boundaries, identity, and safety, to separate good from bad, right from wrong, to prove our worth by comparing ourselves to others, separating ourselves from others, and developing a strong ego, then the second half of life is about letting go of that self-constructed ego, removing the barriers of separation, pulling down the walls that protected our vulnerable child of God, while at the same time walled us off from our souls, our true selves, life itself, who we truly are in God. If in the first half of life we sought to make ourselves pure by separating good from bad, right from wrong, and proving ourselves that we were always on the right side of those boundaries, in the second half of life, We come to realize that purity is not holiness, and that Jesus himself sought, above all else, loving connection with people across any purity boundaries. Go and learn what this means, Jesus tells the Pharisees, the separated ones in today's gospel. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. He has come to call those on the wrong side of the purity boundaries. Alexander Sol- Solzhenitsyn famously wrote If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. As St. John wrote, if we claim we have no sin... We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Only when we are living in the first half of life, living in our ego selves, can we fool ourselves into believing that we can be truly pure, separate from, and superior to those people on the other side of the boundary of purity, political party, nationality, religion, or what have you. No matter how much we strive for purity in our minds, bodies, spirits, or ideologies, purity is not the same as holiness, Pastor Nadia reminds us. It's just easier to define what is pure than what is holy. So we pretend they are interchangeable. It's just easier to define what is pure than what is holy. So we pretend they are interchangeable. And it is indeed difficult to define what is holy. It is not something we can achieve by our own willpower or efforts toward goodness, righteousness, or purity. It is only something we can uncover and discover by letting down those protective barriers and boundaries that served us well in the first half of life when we were building our egos, but which become hindrances to growth and holiness in the second half of life. My friends, for so long, I thought that the vulnerable child of God that is at the center of my heart, that image of God in which I was created, and which is my true self, needed to be protected. And so I constructed boundaries and barriers all around it. But what I have discovered, and I'm still discovering, in the second half of my life, is that what I was really protecting was not my true self, my holy self. What I was really protecting was my ego self, my righteous self, my shiny, pure self, my good boy self, that I felt I needed to show to the world in order to prove my worth. What I have discovered, and I'm still discovering, in the second half of my life, is that the child of God at the center of my heart, that child which is so open and vulnerable, is at the same time strong beyond my imagining, just as the heart of Jesus, which is open and vulnerable, is strong beyond our imagining. Episcopal priest and author Jackie Lewis speaks of the fierce love that comes from this inner vulnerable heart, this inner holiness. She writes, Fierce love is ferocious. It is extravagant kindness. It turns strangers into friends. Fierce love causes us to cross boundaries and borders, to discover one another, to support one another, to heal one another. When we do this, when we offer wild kindness to our neighbor across the street or across the globe, we make a new kind of space between us. We make space for discovery, and curiosity, for learning and growing. We make space for sharing stories and being changed by what we share. In our gospel reading, Jesus says to the Pharisees who are complaining that he is crossing barriers and breaking codes of purity, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What he might say to me and to you today is, go and learn the lessons of the second half of life. Go and learn what it means to love tenderly, vulnerably and fiercely.